Hello and welcome to So Farscape. A fun-filled Farscape fan cast by a fervent fan. And a frankly fascinated first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And, and this, this is, is the story So Farscape. Farscape. Ooh, we have another fun-filled Farscape episode. Well, yes. Oh. Yes. I'm, I mean, I'm really in the mood now because we actually sort of figured out our little soundboard on the new recorder. And so we were able to listen to our friend uh, Lee. That's Lee Wright's songs. Excellent theme song. So we actually sort of really got to pump ourselves up this yes, time. Yes, rather than having to edit it in post. We it's going to be do... so nice. Yes. But so your tone was a little bit doubtful about whether this is fun-filled. What's the, the deal? The episode had a bit of a downturn towards the end. Let me put it like that. You know, that is fair to say, because this week we're talking about Season 3, Episode 10, Relativity. Yes. It sounded like a Jeopardy sort of uh, category. category. Yes. <laughs> it's and all yes, relative. And it took me way too long to figure out what it was about. That relativity was... Yeah, no, not, nothing to do with spatial relativity. It's a rather cunning one. It was written by Rockney S. O'Bannon. Oh, himself. Yep, I think it's, it's fair to credit him as the creator I mean, of that's, the... That's how he's credited in the credits. Exactly. Like, created by Rockney S. O'Bannon. And then further developed by uh, David S. Kemper and executive produced by people like Ricky Manning. But yeah, I think this is the first since, uh, since season one that he's written. Actually, I've got my hand in the date, database here. I can just look that up. Let me see. It's directed by Peter Andrikidis, who has directed The Flax and Different Destinations. Yeah. And Rockney O'Bannon. Oh, yes. No, he has done in season two as well. He did the premiere of Bugs Life and Dream a Little Dream. Oh, yes. Bugs Life with the uh, intelligent virus. Dream a little dream to me. Hey, that's really like relationship-heavy episodes, like very, yeah. very tightly about examining these characters' relationship, which is especially apt for relativity because uh, as our... <laughs> As our listeners have contributed, thank you so much. I, I, I called for, I, like, I begged for more synopses for season three, and people have shown up. We are so grateful to Yeah, them. this is going to take a while to read them all. They're great. So let's get going. It's like, if you like pina coladas and getting caught in a swamp. If you like pina colada. Yes. The, getting caught in a swamp. The song's actually called Escape, and although it's generally referred to as the pina colada song. It's always in parentheses. Yes. So Rigel really opens up to a woman despite her apparent drug problem and a trailer. <laughs> of broken-hearted mercenaries, while the rest of the crew work through trust issues during a high-stakes game of hide-and-seek. Th- Thank you, Jenna. That is really good. Yes. Um, okay, uh, sorry, I've got to read these in the right order. There's one by Test Monkeys. Yes, okay, okay. Here's the order that they, they need to go in because somebody sent in an addendum, which is an un- unconventional move. Yes. Inhumanoids decompose doesn't care much for gravity. Inhumanoids decompose with an apostrophe doesn't care much for gravity. Mrs. Doubtfire attempts a dangerous drive-by fruiting and a family reunion doesn't go as expected. Thanks to Tis I, Test Monkey 6K, a.k.a. <laughs> Brian Ivahoe Bois. Okay. Uh, so that person... <laughs> I think Brian may have, you know, been been celebrating on some adult beverages when he when he wrote this in. Yes. Because there's a lot of attitude there, but then his his sort of cool, haha, how do you like that? Was followed up by an addendum, which is oh, and the crew lay forest traps that would make an Ewok blush. <laughs> Thank you, Test Monkey 6K. Oh yes, I see that. <laughs> um Let's see. After fleeing Hoth, Lucas landed on Dagobah and has gotten his ship stuck. No, wrong show. <laughs> Wesley and Buttercup seek refuge from the six-fingered man in the Faisal. No, that's not it either. If you like pina coladas, anyway, the crew celebrates Mother's Day with a festive spray-painted ropes, acid pumpkins, smelly loop parties, and bondage. Thank you, Horsebird. <laughs> 
This is fantastic. And we've got one more from Lucy. The crew visit the butthole of the universe. Mm. Someone at castration level is cranky from having their sleep disturbed by some randy teenagers in the neighbouring bunk. Paradise is rudely interrupted by a long-lost family member and piña coladas have a nasty bite. Thank you, Lucy. Well, yeah, it's like there's an awful lot of emphasis on pina coladas, which were just like another throwaway comment from John. But, yes. Yeah. In hindsight, we should have that should have been our little podcasting companion beverage. Pina coladas. Yeah, yeah. right. That I would suppose, have been seasonal. Uh, that's coconut, isn't it? Yeah, and there's some cream component to it. Yeah. Okay. I tend to pride myself on mixing a decent cocktail, but I can't for the life you of me uh, remember the ingredients for a pina colada without looking them up. I think it's pineapple juice and rum. Uh, that does sound good. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe when this episode comes out, we can celebrate its, uh, its, its airing. Oh, that sounds like a good plan. But in the meantime, hey, Kay, Kay, should we get started with the episode? Yes. Great, because then I can use this button. Yes, push the button. So we open up with a long recap, actually. I thought that was interesting. It's like last time, yeah. it was not even a last time on Farscape. It was a previously on Farscape. And it did a fairly comprehensive wrap-up of important parts that you needed to know for this episode. Yeah, of catching up the sort of path that led to Talon's situation, because yes. uh, the season's branching off in, uh, in, in two directions. Mm. Yes, I gave you a little spoiler about that, because this last time mentioning that last episode, Losing Time, was a, a green tea episode, and now it's a black tea episode, because it's black t-shirted uh, uh, John that's on Talon. Yeah. And their plot is Talon, Crace, Aaron, and the Peacekeeper Retrieval Squad. And Rigel, and... Uh... Yeah. So we learn a lot about that in uh, in this episode. So it, it really makes sense to start off with, with this great recap. Your boyfriend joined us once yeah. again. He has had a, a strange track record of the episode of Farscape that he's, he's <laughs> seen. <laughs> I think he, like, didn't he drop in with Crackers Don't Matter or uh, Out of Their Minds? I think Something that was the like first that. time. Yes. So his first introduction to these characters was when they were body swapping with each other. Right, and then he watched uh, the second one of uh, Look at the Princess, I think. Yes, not the first or third, so... <laughs> so yes, he seemed like, well, yeah, every few episodes he, he joins us for the watching before we do the recording. And uh, yeah, he's had a very mixed bag of uh, episodes that he's watched. Yeah, he sort of exclaimed after this one finished, oh, wow, so it is a normal, they yeah. actually do normal stories <laughs> this as well. This was actually like, a, it almost looked like a regular sci-fi show this yeah, time around. He was so excited. Because yes, thanks to his recap, he could actually get it. Yeah. Crace being injured and Talon being injured and being found by the Moyans. Some of them stay behind after uh, Aaron's discovery of her mother's involvement in the retrieval squad. Yes, that's from her mother's leading the retrieval squad. And yeah. we had a little, another little recap of the video that Crace showed her with her mother coming to her and uh, professing the fact that she is a love child, basically. Yeah. And not a, uh, a procedural child or whatever they want to call it. Yeah, a, a scheduled or an assigned birthing to fill right. the ranks. Yes. Which, yeah. Ugh. And then the episode starts with a a long shot through this fantastic jungle. Like it's okay, it's not the word I would have picked, but really, I would have called it a soundstage jungle. But yes, okay. Yeah. I mean, they didn't even bother to. Uh, do something with the floor. You, you can in, in places you can tell it was just a flat concrete floor with some wood chips sprinkled they on it. They put some wood chips down. That called that counts as something. <laughs> <laughs> so this is fast turnaround television, right? They've got to build all this and film the episode and then be done in like eight days. 
yeah. and then move on to the next one that's already being built during mm-hmm. the like each of these episodes was usually filmed in the middle of the cacophony of drilling and hammering from the next sound. Right. Because they're not sound stages, they're warehouses. Like sound mm. stages are, are right. sound isolated right. for yeah, that yeah. reason. But this part, at least, is CGI. So we see lots of vines and we see reptile birds flying around. And then we see Talon resting amid this, uh, yes. uh, this junk. That immediately had me going like, oh, okay. Like we're seeing a, a new thing in which Talon is uh, apparently more capable than uh, the average uh, Leviathan. Yes. Although we have seen Moya also land on the planet. It seems to be a very unusual thing because as we learn right at the beginning of episode, of, sorry, the first season, I think it's the third episode where they like yeah. beach it's like Little House on the uh, Prissy's Arm, I believe we called the episode. Oh, yes, that's right. I think that's the second episode yeah. in, in the proper and area, we, Yeah, we are told that Leviathans don't land. They just like sometimes when they're youthful and brash, they see how far they can skim down the uh, atmosphere. I'm really impressed with you. I'm going to put in a clip of uh, uh, of pilots saying exactly that. Yeah, like young leviathans, they play with the gravity ball, but they never land. When leviathans are young, they often play with the planet's gravity, see how close they can come. Yes, exactly. But no, he has landed on this planet, which apparently is also a high-gravity planet. Yes. It's kind of mentioned. Which helps him sleep. Right. So I guess it's like a weighted blanket. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. Right? It, it's sort of swaddling, it's comforting. Also, I imagine that for... I saw that in uh, in The Expanse, that uh, like trauma uh, injury treatment in zero gravity is very yeah. difficult because wounds don't drain. Oh, yes. I can see that, yeah. Right? And so you've got all this coagulation through the body and like yeah, wounds yeah. need to drain. Then again, leviathans are a zero gravity species. Yes, yeah, so you'd think that leviathans are able to... Uh to deal with have, that sort of thing, yeah, yeah. that's like not a, not a problem for them. But yes, apparently now he's dormant, he's gone to sleep, they've put him to sleep, and he is healing amongst the vines, the healing vines, as they're actually called. Yeah, whatever this is. And yes, indeed, they are just ropes, spray-painted blue. Mm. That was apparently a health and safety issue. Apparently, like, there were some, some, maybe they tried some latex alternatives, but that yeah. was considered unsafe working conditions, and it wasn't possible to make safe ones quickly yeah i guess i also noticed that they cleverly didn't show the ceiling where these vines were coming in through yeah but i kind of dig that because they they spent the money on this opening shot Mm -hmm. like that is really detailed and and difficult to do cgi with lots of vines and just sort of sell it it's the same kind of philosophy that uh, peter jackson had with uh, the lord of the rings films yeah that in each of those films somewhere near the start there's an incredibly complicated sequence selling the size difference yeah yeah it's Gandalf visiting Bilbo in his house, and it's a long right. shot. It's incredibly complicated, or uh, uh, Merry and Pippin dancing on the table. And then after that, you can coast, because you've established it. Right. And, and people, then, people remember the first being wowed by the first shot, and anything later they see that confirms it is just gravy. Yeah, Doctor Who does it as well, because then you've got them on board, you start with that, and then afterwards, it's just spray-painted ropes. I notice you, you have a little bit of problem with your costume falling <laughs> apart. You have, like, a wardrobe <laughs> malfunction there. Yes, okay, some. They're just a little bit behind the scenes that Kay mentioned to to some of our beloved listeners that he is, in fact, the owner of Leather Pants after that was mentioned in a previous episode. And then he, fool that you are. <laughs> yes, yes, Promise, yes. oh, I'll do the next episode recording in, uh, in leathers. Figuring that nobody's going to be able to see, so it's an easy boast to make. You, however, decided to hold me to it and, like, in support, decided to wear your... 
my garbage Alibaba really cheap lederhosen because yeah. I, I don't actually own a magnificent pair of leathers like <laughs> you do. So, I'll, I'll, you know, solidarity. Solidarity among podcasts. I can confirm that I am wearing my peacekeeper uh, pants, I suppose. Actually, that is a very good point. They, they really do sort of... They kind of work. My, unfortunately, my leather jacket isn't really a good peacekeeper jacket, but, you know... Well, maybe we'll find you one. The, the, the world else? of cosplay is, uh, is massive. So if you, hear any, if you hear any squeaking during this episode, <laughs> that is uh, that is Kay. So, yes, Speaking we get on board. Of squeaking. Oh, yes. <laughs> Once we're done with the recap, and uh, we have Crace gloomily staring out the window at the, uh, at the forest. Yeah. It's a weird shot to open with. He's just sort of sort of glaring there. And then we follow Stark, who is singing a little song as he... And Stark is <laughs> stalking over towards Rigel to go annoy him. Come on, 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 I may be small, but allow me to remind you that only serves to put me at castration level. What's the matter? Didn't sleep well? How could I? With them on the other side of this very thin bulkhead. Bit noisy, were they? She was bad enough, but Crichton, he was louder than she was. He actually sounded like he was exerting himself. What kind of a male is he anyway? Rigel is plenty annoyed already. He is, he is exhausted, not having had a lot of sleep because he is... Uh, Kept awake by these rowdy teenagers on the other side of this very thin wall. We've been recreating uh, extensively, <laughs> so. Uh, we cut to the other side of the wall, a much nicer room. It's all red, and there's guns and pants and uh, an underwear strewn around. Reminded hey. me a little bit of that scene from uh, Police Academy, when, uh, what's his face, uh, the, the gun nut uh, finally gets into bed with someone, and he t- takes about a few minutes to take all the various <laughs> firearms out of his clothes <laughs> while they're undressing. <laughs> No Calvin Klein's on the floor, I noticed. Oh, I guess they've worn out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're like several years in at this point. Like, he's like... I think that's fair. Yeah. The underwear, you've got to replace it at some point. Yeah, but especially a soldier like Erin would take good care of her uh, her oh. equipment, I'm oh, sure. Oh, of course, yes. So, yes, John deliberately goes on banging <laughs> to annoy <laughs> Rachel a little bit more. <laughs> Rigel had some fun hypersexist comments about it as well, that yes, she was yes. bad enough, but he was even louder. He sounded like he was exerting himself. <laughs> what kind of male is he? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then again, he's not a body breeder. No, I suppose not. Like, mm. his his experience is probably, I, I have no idea what to do. Does he just sort of swim over and spawn I on suppose. some... I suppose, and, and I guess he's like being royalty is used to be aided in that by his uh, women. <laughs> Now I'm imagining the scene from Coming to America, except oh, a, yes. a lady Hynerian comes up right. out of the water with her the nose. Spawning is done. The royal niving vivonks are clean. <laughs> that would have been so good if I could actually say it. Okay, <laughs> they're they're doing a little bit more of. Uh, uh, Pre-recreation, I suppose. Yeah, they're sort of considering their uh, their next... You know, we should actually get some sleep now. Yeah, but how long are we going to be on this planet for? Immediately, bliss is... Shattered. That's a great word, thank you. Because they detect an incoming ship. It's like, friend or foe? Of course it's a foe! We have no friends! Real politic there. It's a really tricky uh, situation because Talon is asleep. Yeah. Uh, and it'll take him a while to, to heal. That was a risk that they all took. And so what are we going to do? Also, it's just occurred to me that Aaron and John are, they are sort of teenagers necking in her bedroom. Yes. And, oh, shit. Mom's come. Yeah. Mom's well, here. Oh, that is a very good point. <laughs> right. Yes. Mom, we, mom has arrived. We've right. mom's minivan. 
<laughs> coming in the driveway. Oh, pulling oh crikey, what are we going to do? And we see Mom, in fact, coming out of a prowler with two aliens. Three, actually. Uh, three to start yes, with. Yes, three to start with. We have another, some, some gorgeous, long-headed aliens. I noticed they have a little uh, favory for that. We've got the Skeksis-like ones. We have the... Um, the whatchamacallit, the other reptilian aliens, also long faces. Oh, uh, the, the scarabs, scarabs yes. yes. that's the one. And now these guys, uh, what are they called? The collartas. Collartas. Apparently which, another subversion species, or at least a, a species which is uh, indebted to the uh, peacekeepers. Yeah. So like, it's an interesting structure they've got. They're alternately called mercenaries, but they're also enslaved. Yes. And as it's explained, the deal is they've got to complete nine missions for the peacekeepers successfully. Yes. And if any of them mess up, the counter resets to zero. Yeah, that so it's going to be nine in sequence. That seems pretty harsh. It, well, yeah. peacekeepers for you, hey? Yeah, fair point. The one that she walks out with, she asks how's his wound, and he complains about the high gravity on this planet. Yes, apparently two and a half times what they're used to on his planet. So I'm sitting here doing the math on that. If it's two and a half times their usual planet, yeah. uh, it's going to be, you know, either their usual planet is like under half. Considering the height, that seems... Yeah. yeah. Or everybody else here should be, like, significantly affected by high gravity as well. I mean, it could be... I, we, we just don't know what's normal to them. No. If one is normal for humans, like, if they're used to point eight, then it would still be almost two for humans to get... A, you know, that's what I'm saying. So then it would be... Yeah. Two. So in order for it to be kind of close to normal for the spationoids, their na native gravity would have to be something right. less than half, which at that point it doesn't really matter because then it would be kind of normal for them to be at that high gravity, even so, if this is slightly elevated gravity. I'm just like, I'm no, nitpicking I'm, I'm here. Thinking, but no, I'm thinking about it as well. But like, also think about like what is optimum shipboard gravity because they can change that. So if you're a peacekeeper, right, and, you, mm -hmm. and you're running a ship and you're trying to, to, to train your, your soldiers, some of them are pilots, some of them are ground troops, yeah. well, how do you set the gravity on your ship? High. Right. Yeah, because both pilots and ground troops benefit from uh, exercising in high gravity. Yeah, so that makes sense on Moya was initially under peacekeeper control. Yeah. So they'd give, have the gravity set. So maybe they've all got their gravity just set to, like, Earth and a half mm -hmm. to begin with. Like, you can adapt to that, right? Well, you'd think so. I mean, I, I don't know, but it seems reasonable. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would be, be, uh, be an exhausting it first yeah. year, but... Yeah. Uh, but it, that would make you stronger. But yeah, I uh, also noticed there weren't any special effects implying that there was a higher gravity. It, it just gets mentioned as a bit of a throwaway comment. Yes, because it specifically affects the colartas, uh, the pina coladas, and nobody else. This one insists that uh, he's still mission-capable, but Zalex doesn't, doesn't buy it shoots him in the chest and informs the other two, Good news. Your shares have just increased. Yes, I suppose that they get shares despite the fact that they're indentured to the uh, peacekeepers. That was the thing. After nine missions, you can buy your freedom. So they're making money. Oh, that's but it. But with that, right. they can buy their freedom, but they can't do that before they've done a, a nine in a row. Right. So, yes, they are now on a prowler. They landed not too close to uh, Talon, as we learn, but they are approaching and they will be... Coming. Yes. So the team splits up, much to Crasis' uh, consternation. Stark and Rigel are left behind on Talon. He says, yes. I'm the logical choice, but... Rigel gets told off for going through uh, Aaron's stuff. We get another view of the video where she was uh, being visited ah, by her yes, mother. Yes, very good. And uh, John spends some significant amount of time telling Rigel to like keep his paws to himself and don't go through Aaron's stuff. He's not so concerned about his own stuff, I suppose. Most of their stuff is on Moya. I don't know which room this is in. 
because it sort of looks like Crace's boudoir. Right. But it's, uh, it's not command. Exactly. It's got these sort of PK stations there as well. Actually, I think this might be Rigel's bedroom. But hmm. why they're walking into Rigel's bedroom, I don't know. This seems a weird room that, yeah. that they just sort of happen to be in. But maybe we can be corrected on that. So the idea is that Aaron, Crace, <clears throat> and John will go out and meet these, these peacekeepers, try and slow them down or distract them. Yeah. Uh, and lead them away from Talon so that he can finish healing, and then they can sneak away. Decoys, this is an awfully big ship. You really, really, really think the three of you... Stark, if you have any other ideas, we'll be thrilled to hear them before we go out. So we are on the first of many shots made in the same little bit of scenery from different angles, where people are, like, walking through the aforementioned dangling ropes. Uh, Yep. Look, it's a soundstage uh, jungle. I thought it was great. It was fairly well done. I mean... There's a there's an extended chase sequence. Actually, uh, this also goes for like the corridors on Talon. Now those I liked, yeah. right? There's a lot of those. I mean, that's probably also like five, six sections of corridor that they put in different in right. different con- configurations. If, if that, and, yes. And filmed this walk and talk in several segments, and it was really well done. Good job, Peter and Trinkitis. If I'm saying that right. So excellent use is being made of... I'm sorry. No, you can have your own opinion about the jungle if you yeah. like, but I'm, I'm just going to be super into it. They discover some properties of this planet. There's a fruit that falls from a, a, a branch and that sizzles on the ground. Yeah, it looks to be some sort of acid. Mm. So, yeah, uh, avoid those. And, and there's like steam vents or like sulfurous steam vents, I suppose. Old the- Faithful that apparently smells like farts. What does he call him? Okay, welcome to the butthole of the universe. Butthole like, of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, surely there must be worse places than that, but, you know. It, I wonder what it smells. I mean, you can have olfactory fatigue for any scent other than sulfur, right? Really? So any, yeah, apparently, like, I learned this, that the humans are capable of just getting used to any scent. Yeah. So you're, like, you're completely immune to your own body scent. I, I, thought, I, I, I thought sulfur was one of them as well, because, like, I thought that the... Uh, the rotten egg smell, basically, that you get from uh, some sort of sulfur compound can be, yeah. become lethal very quickly because, in fact, you become your nose becomes dead to it. Oh. And you don't smell it anymore, and therefore you're still being slowly poisoned or quickly poisoned if you're unlucky. Okay, welcome to the butthole of the universe. So during this walk and talk, the two crews, so the Moyen and the Retrieval Squad, deliver a lot of the uh, the exposition that we've just talked about. Oh yeah, there was an interesting bit where Zalax asks one of the Kalartas, I think they're called Vec and Kek, if he has a, a mate, and offspring. Right. And then he says yes. And then she said, well, then you and your mate here will be very... Yeah, I was wondering about that. You have a mate? Offspring? Yes. Nice. It'd be a frelling shame if you and your mate here screwed up and you were to start your mission count back at zero. I mean, she probably means pal, because I don't, they don't... Right, sort of, maybe Australian mate. Exactly, yeah. but it's weird to use those in the same sentence. Yes, it is. Then again, hey... Um, I mean, I, I mean, I've, I actually noticed that they have another, like, a pair of alien uh, yes. trackers, like, yes. kind of like uh, mirroring back to the other ones we had. Uh, That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> one, of, one of our listeners pointed that out. Kay, you're really astute here, <laughs> because it's even to the point where one of them does the tracking. It seems smelling is a female's job. Oh, friend. Is it? I yes. Thought bo- oh, okay. So one of them uh, later on has yeah. uh, one of their hearts bursts. They have multiple. And mm-hmm. uh, no, I won't slow you down, but I can still track. And the other one keeps asking him. I don't even know which pronouns they uh, no. is appropriate, but keeps asking mm-hmm. him. Them. Yeah. Oh, them, actually. Yeah, yeah. let's do that. Uh, keeps asking them where they are. 
Yeah, uh, do we know to some... do all the tracking. Right, interesting. I hadn't caught on to that. I thought it Much was like, like Rorf and Rorg. Right, the, no, no. The I, I, I thought they were more like confirming, like, can you still smell them? But it might be. Uh, we can go with your head cannon. Thank you. Back on the ship, there's also an interesting situation, which is Rigel and Stark discover that the corridors are now riddled with these vines. They're fast growing. Yeah. It's like if they hadn't noticed this last time they walked through and suddenly it's covered. There's also mention of a hull breach at some point where they're apparently coming in through, which is then later conveniently ignored after Talon is, is healing. Yeah, or after that set couldn't be built on time or who knows. So the restorative vines are actually growing through him, which... Much to uh, Rigel's disconcernment. Yeah, he thinks that it's not going to be a problem. Talon's going to be able to rip free once he's awake. But Stark is concerned that they're anchoring him to the planet right. and wants to help little Talon as much as they can. He starts uh, furiously chopping away at vines, trying to cut them away. I notice that Stark seems to be a lot less effective since Zahn's demise. Yeah, I see what you... Well, actually, how do you how do you see that? I mean, he seems to be a lot more in his manic, weird phase rather than in his composed, talking-like-a-normal-person phase, which he did for a while. Right. It might have been Zahn's calming influence, or it might just be something that he goes through. But, uh, yeah, he seems Maybe to be a lot... pretending to be normal to impress his girlfriend. But he also went, like, on a complete journey to find uh, Jothi, I believe, yes. And then when he came back from that, he was acting and talking like a normal uh, person who wasn't encumbered with weird mental flashbacks about people dying and stuff like that, you know? He, was, he, well. he, seemed, he seemed to be a lot more composed then, let me put when it When he like was that. explaining the plan, he was, uh, he was a bit... Uh, and right. then we just, we're on a silent count. I told you we'll all be on a silent count for the entire battle. A, a silent count while we're fighting? Yes. It's easy. Well, yes, he, had, he always had a little bit of that. But <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I'm, That's I'm, just what I'm, I happen to remember. Right. No, mean, fair enough. Fair, fair, fair enough. I do see what you mean. He's a much more clownish character. He comes in uh, singing. There's mention that he hums when he's nervous. Mm. And Rigel hiccups when he's nervous. Farts when he's nervous, like... Okay, so maybe this is what's happening. Like, every season, they, they do some sort of pairings with characters. Yeah. Like, in season two, it was Rigel and Chiana. Mm-hmm. Right, they'd be they'd be paired right. up as, yeah, yeah. and here. Like so now that partners in crime stealing shit. Yeah, mm. and now that uh, Rigel's being paired with Stark, I'm getting real Laurel and Hardy vibes between them. I can see where you're coming from. Right, I, although I don't quite know which one considers themselves Laurel and which one considers themselves Hardy, but they probably both consider themselves to be Hardy. Yeah, everybody does <laughs> yeah. until they actually look in the mirror and realize, oh shit, no, I'm the weirdo, aren't I? Yes. <laughs> It's the t classic straight men and uh, comedian, I suppose. What's the... I mean, the comic and the straight man or the foil. Right, um... yes. But anyway, anyway. Hey, shit is about to come down because the retrieval squad are very good at their job. Yes, the trackers find them without fail and a firefight ensures in the jungle. Now, I thought this was very interesting because our heroes who've been leading the uh, who've been trying to attract attention you know firing their pulse pistols and mm -hmm. yelling unaware that they are being ambushed Aaron is a little bit suspicious but we focus on Zalax who's got them in her sights and what do you think is going through her hand here because she seems to wait an awful long time and the shot counter shot the counter shot is on Aaron not on Chris yeah. who's her secondary target huh I mean you're alluding to the fact that uh, she knows that it's her daughter and she's, like, making up her mind, deciding what she's going to do and how she's going to go ahead with it. I'm not, like, yes, but, I, like, I'm not sold on that. Yeah. But I could go either way on it. Like, I mean, how, there... much, how much do we know that she knows about 
No, she, because she doesn't know that it's her. That's what's been uh, that's, been established, or at least yeah. that's what she says. But I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, it's it, it, it's later on in the episode. It's established that she doesn't know that it is her her daughter that she's talking to, yep. uh, that she's dealing with. I, I should say. So, but there is the I mean, there is the, the trope, which is, has a lot of basis in reality that a mother recognizes her child. I mean, even mm. to the point where I've understood from Muslim friends that the uh, the description of uh, paradise in the Quran is that it's a physical place where you get a new body there and you wake up with no memories, and like the idea is that paradise is is just another world with no want, and so you get to meet all your favorite people again and enemies right. as well, without any baggage because you don't know each other, but. Only your mother recognizes you. Oh. Uh, she can choose not to let on or whatever. Right. Like you get a new body, you get a new face, everybody's new to each other, yeah. but your mother knows you. Oh, okay. So your mother knows who their kids are. Yeah. And that's the only thing. And huh. I think that's, like, that's, it's really beautiful and it's such a, I mean, the mama lion kind, right. of, uh, yes. kind of vibe here that maybe she sees this other peacekeeper and some instinctual thing. I mean, there's, like, they, they did pick actors who have a at least a passing resemblance in their accent as well yeah. uh, linda cropper is the is the actress who plays uh, uh, zalax and they are just electric together right but i mean you told me that um claudia black kind of picked a weird accent to like make, make well, the she, peacekeeper accent and then everybody has to... a weird accent that's her that, well, right. no, that's not fair but like she she grew up in australia and the uk okay and so she has a, a very particular Bit of both like i noticed it when she says Alive? It's not alive, it's alive. He is alive. It's actually, like, it's half Australian, but it's much closer to the au diphthong mm-hmm. that, uh, that we have in the Netherlands. Alive. alive. Right, yes. Right? I noticed that uh, Lani Tupu at one point also kind of slipped into his... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In one of the scenes, he's just like, oh, okay, yeah, he's a Kiwi. <laughs> yeah. How are you going to get off this planet without me? And what if Aaron isn't back at Tellum when you get there? What are you going to do then? Oh, I love seeing Lani Tupu. Uh, so, yeah, actually, what I was looking at most in the scenes, like, they, they were really not skimping on the pyrotechnics. Right? Yeah. So, for this jungle, they had brought in every special effects machine that they had. What have we got? Three smoke machines. Yep, turn them all on. Crank them to max. Let's yeah. go. But they'll overheat and they'll pump out smoke. Great. Great. <laughs> yeah. That's what we want. Every, uh, every, piece of mach- every piece of machinery is a smoke machine if you all operate the- it wrong enough. <laughs> Because a firefight ensues, even though there is this moment of, of curious hesitation, just as Aaron realizes that something's wrong, she dives out of the way. Mm-hmm. Crace and John follow her. Yep. And that's the exact moment that Zalex and the two Kulatas open fire. Right. Fire's being exchanged. It sort of looked like uh, uh, Zalax was gun-shy. Do you know what I mean? Like, she'd, she'd sort of squint her eyes before firing, like maybe the yeah. actress hadn't held a, a weapon before. But these are plastic props. They yeah. don't fire. Generally speaking, not, no. Right? They don't even have triggers. So you're supposed to just sort of... It depends on if it's a hero prop or if it's just a... Uh... No, none of them do. Okay, fair enough. None of them have any moving no, parts. Okay. They're all just... Uh, yeah, uh, cast... fair enough. Yeah. I know, I, I know that like sometimes like they use guns that fire blanks on set to get more realistic effects. You yes, know, yes. Battlestar Galactica, sometime, I think Space Above and Beyond. And sometimes this goes horribly wrong. The Crow and like more recently... Terrible tragedies of uh, yes. procedure that uh, most of the times these procedures prevent that from happening, but especially yeah. on, a, on a set like this. But like, she's an Australian actress. Australia is, uh, uh, at least nowadays, not known for, yeah, not, uh, for having a lot of guns. No, they did a big thing where they like 
basically they had a school shooting. It wasn't a school shooting, but it was like kind of like a dumb blame type accident. Port. Uh, it was not an accident. Uh, the the incident, Port Arthur. Sorry, not accident. Oh, thank you. The Port <laughs> Arthur massacre. I think it was called. Yeah, yeah and the they more or less banned handguns. Uh, not quite as extensively as in the UK. There's you can still get firearms as a private person, but it's like yeah. it's, it's much more the, the Dutch way, where you have to. It's strictly regulated. Yeah, uh, I mean, and there is there is still marksmanship as a sport. Yeah, but again, like yeah, the owning firearms for that is still. Uh, probably almost more regulated than here in the Netherlands, which is one of the most strongly regulated countries in the world. Yep. Uh, Japan is t- stricter, and that's about, about it, I believe. <laughs> huh. How about, how about Switzerland? I mean, Switzerland is an interesting thing where uh, they, still have a, they still have mandatory military yep. or civil service. Basically, everybody has to take home their service rifle, but they keep the ammo at the range. Exactly that. Yeah. Like, there's no gun control, there's bullet control. Yeah. Which is seems reasonable. Right. So returning to this, <laughs> it's an interesting discussion to have in the middle of a firefight. Yeah. I thought this firefight was great because the Trevil squad keeps up the pressure. We see our heroes backing away. They keep having to look behind them and then fire without looking because mm-hmm. they've got to navigate. This was a slippery set. I can imagine. There was uh, there was chunks of, of wood chips. There was ropes hanging hanging around, especially as, for as, the yeah, uh, Kalatas. Yeah, as we noticed at one point, one of those vines hanging over its face and uh, clearly not noticing the fact. I guess the actor had no idea what was going on. And, but, yeah, they can see, like, through the chin, yeah, down about a meat in the, in the by, neck yeah, piece. Yeah. Which is why, hey, you, you brought that up, why the, uh, uh, the head has this extended part toward the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the face is all animatronics, they needed yeah. a counterweight. Oh, uh, of course, yes. To be able to, to yeah, carry that. That makes sense. Yeah. So it was Holsgrove, once again. Yeah. Who, who was also uh, all the Scarons we've seen and Mordil. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the party gets split. Basically, um, Crace and John uh, are driven off one way, whereas Erin uh, goes the other way, and she gets captured by her mother. <laughs> Move and you die. <coughs> <coughs> Do we say, uh, yes, yes, after her mother, you're right, you're right, sorry. Uh, I was watching a gif where uh, uh, Zalax gets shot in the leg. We don't really yes. see who lands that shot. Someone, yeah. This was, a, this was a fun bit of irony because Linda Cropper had injured her knee the day before filming. Oh, okay. Wrong knee, though. Oh, so. dear. <laughs> Couldn't they have just, like, swapped the knees? I, that was my question as well when I read this, but apparently it's in the script, and the script is sacred, and apparently if you can't get a rewrite, then that's the knee that has to limp. The text is sacred in making science fiction television, so that's why before every take we go over the fine details and make sure that everything is right. Crossing the T's, dotting the I's, because God is in the detail. Okay. Yep. I mean, fortunately, it's easy to fake a limp if you're already limping. But yes, mum grabs her. She elbows the, the wounded knee and switches it around and it ends this up being it. the one capturing mom. Kick-ass fight. Like, you oh, don't yeah. see uh, see women grappling often in these kind like of this, series. Not like this, no. But... I mean, not unless you went watching Benny Hill videos, but... Yikes. But this is a, a proper fight. Both of these these actresses are going for it. Uh, Claudia Black is uh, is using the skills that she's learned over mm. the, the course of this series. Like we remember her first fight with Matala, the uh, <laughs> the scorpion. Which, wow. Okay, so you didn't have a fight choreographer, did you? Clearly Couldn't not. Couldn't afford that. No. I thank you for the exercise. But then she got a lot of advice from the chap who played Larac. But I recognise the unkempt uniform and the undisciplined attitude. Must have really offended you. And just think, how are you going to sit down and eat with one? Ah, uh, yes. 
And uh, yeah, in Bugs Life, oh, also uh, written by Rockney S. O'Bannon. Well, I think the other members of that team were like also squaddies, right? They were right. they were ex-military, so they yeah, actually yeah. and they could like teach her some. These are some cool grapples. You hit me. Hit I. No, a pantag jab. The tables have turned, and we fade to black with with Zalex choking out Aaron, but she flips her mother over and knocks her out. Now. I'm going to have a little trouble working out exactly in which scene what is said. Fair point. It's easy. It's complicated. So how about we follow these threads again from here on out? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. And I want to follow Erin and her mother because I think that's such a powerful thread in this episode because it's something that... Farscape, for all of the like wonderful things that it's famous for, including strong female characters, Mm -hmm. had not really done well in female relationships. Yeah, fair point. Something that Claudia Black uh, often sort of complained about, that she wanted more scenes with, like, Chi or Zan when she was still part of the crew, because there's no female friendships or relationships in general. Mm -hmm. And so to have an entire episode that is primarily about this complicated relationship between these two women is really fantastic. Mm. Because here's the summary. Zalax lives in Erin's memory as a hero, her mother that she only saw once. But for Zalax, that memory is kind of sour. Yes. Because her visits to uh, to Aaron was actually discovered by High Command. Right, and they made her repent for it by killing Talon, as in her the uh, her father, her father, yeah, her, her, well, her lover, but uh, oh, sorry, Aaron's yeah, father. Aaron's father. Yeah, 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 yes. You are pathetic. You are not my daughter. I am. You made me very aware of that the night you came to me when I was a child, and you told me what you'd done, which. May I remind you, was not regulation. I never came to you. You only dreamt it. Well, for many cycles I believed that. But you see, I now have a vid recording which I would be happy to show you if you'd like to see it. Or are you ashamed of your sentiment? Yes, I am, and I paid for it. My superior officers knew I visited you that night. They interrogated me, and I professed my attraction for a certain peacekeeper officer. My father. Yes. He was older than I was, no longer as effective in battle. But my superiors didn't want to lose me. So they gave me a chance to redeem myself. So that's the sort of situation where they're coming from, this conflict. Zalax has rejected that history. And even, I think, in a previous episode, Grace mentioned that this would be an opportunity for Zalax to... Uh, redeem herself. And it's really fascinating how this evolves, because... Zalax at first completely rejects Aaron, completely rejects that sentimentality, but that's kind of knee-jerk. She's, she's extremely wounded. She harbors a hope for her daughter, but she harbors a hope of sort of revalidating, what's it called, like redeeming Aaron mm-hmm. in the face of the peacekeepers. Right. Do you think that's what's the case? Because like whenever it comes to bringing Aaron back towards peacekeeper territory... I'm taking off the straps of my no, later husband, it. by the way. Yeah, the, like you've, had so, you've, had, you've had so many uh, wardrobe malfunctions so far <laughs> that it's, it's getting a bit... But she literally like says when it, whenever it comes to taking her back, it's like, oh, you will be court-martialed and tried for high treason. So she doesn't seem to be very interested in redeeming her or even right. letting her escape. Or So this was a passing mention later in their arc... Uh, And again, apologies for just not being able to keep it straight, but this Mm -hmm. was so intense. I kept very few notes on this because I was just riveted by this episode. I didn't remember this episode being so good. Oh. But yeah, she just said, I I had hoped to bring you back and make a case for you. I will take you back. 
attempt to redeem you if it was possible. But your corruption is too advanced. But I see now that your, your corruption has gone too far. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting that even as Zalax was sort of trying to meet Aaron, she couldn't let go of being a, a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper, no. Versus Aaron. Who was, who, at this point, embraced it. But she considers herself, like she considers her rebelliousness, that she inherited that from her mother. Mm-hmm. Which is just incredible. I mean, it's... it's right. not a- interesting to see how it can go both ways. And yeah. Especially like mom, who also had his rebellious nature, but then apparently swung around and came back and is now full peacekeeper. Yep. As opposed to Aaron, who had the same rebelliousness, but is now completely Inspired awake. by her. Like, yeah. she, she might otherwise have been much more like Lieutenant Teague or Braca, mm. being a consummate peacekeeper. On the other hand, she not really had the opportunity to make that redemption in the eyes of the peacekeeper, so to speak. No, Crace That's, did see to that. Yes, he? quite. Yeah. I mean, like, the first season, she probably would have done that, given the chance, but, yeah, none of that. You're right. I to... Okay, this is actually an interesting thing. Okay, think about how this uh, retrieval squad was sent out. Their mm-hmm. primary mission was to retrieve Talon. Yeah. The secondary was to retrieve Crace. Yes. Because he's a captain. Yeah. And the information that he has cannot be allowed to uh, to get to away. Run rampant. No. And you know she does sort of boast that there is a legion of inquisitors waiting. Captain Byla Crace, or should I say, former Captain Crace, do you have? Any idea how many Inquisitors want you back in high command? I can almost imagine a whole row of Scorpius standing there, like, <laughs> gleefully wringing their hands together. At the <laughs> With their various comfy chairs? Yes. <laughs> Even though I know that Scorpius is, like, a unique case, but still, you know. Right. And uh, so those are the two targets. And then they specifically picked the mother of one of the escapees right. to, uh, to do it. Erin comments on that, that she expects that they thought that she might flinch uh, at the fact that it's her mother. Oh my and God, like, my favourite Erin line. I'm not flinching. Yeah. God, no, no, you're not. <laughs> the other plot is Crace and John making their way through the jungle. Also really intense. Yeah. Now, this is sort of expanding on the relationship that they've that they've had over many years by now. Antagonistic, but also, I mean, you remember at the end of season one, when Crace had been uh, uh, captured, of, you know, he'd, he'd come for asylum aboard yeah. Moya, and John's sitting outside his cell and talking about, like, you put me through hell, but I'm also desperate for just male human companionship, and you're the closest thing. Yeah, I can get. So... Crace gets injured, uh, he gets shot, and John helps him to escape from the trackers, where we learn that they're mostly, they seem to be mostly tracking by scent, although they're also good at reading tracks, literal. Yeah. But John decides that, like, oh, we have this acidic fruit here, so I'm just going to pour some of that juice into your wound. And, and I'm just sitting there like, you know that a lot of acids are also poisonous? You know, yes. I mean, <laughs> and also, like, is acid cauterization a thing? I don't think so. It's but not, right? No. It can't. What is the value of it? I don't know. It's like... <laughs> like heat cauterization... Maybe. Can, it's also not, also not a very good idea, generally speaking. But Apparently, it's still a, it's still a practice. I was oh, corrected on okay. that by a listener that, yeah, in, in certain circumstances, especially field medicine, but also in surgery, mm-hmm. cautery. It's, it's like some, uh, burning off small arteries to... Exactly. To, to, to prevent to blood loss. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, a, a burn injury is bad, but blood loss is worse. Mm. So I really like their sort of dynamic as he's carrying injured Crace around. At one point, like, he, he stops him and turns around and... 
the first time that they did that, he twisted Lani very unfortunately, and he sort of yelped in in, in pain. That yeah. was that was genuine, and that ruined that take. And then afterward, he insisted on doing that yelp. If she's still alive, she is still alive. Like I summoned a really fun yelp there. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah, they end up slathering themselves in some sort of smelly gel to uh, hide from the trackers. If this doesn't come our shit, or kill it, I don't know what will. Oh, the mouth. <laughs> this is so much fun here. Smell this. It's awful. Oh, yeah. yeah. And get it in your... <laughs> this, is this, is male, this, is, this is male bonding, you know? It's like, here, smell my finger, you know? It's like... <laughs> and slathering each other in KY. Yeah, I he suppose. even says, don't forget your private parts. Yes. <laughs> which, you know, I know, it sort of plays as a joke. That's actually really smart. Yeah, I mean, that's like... Yeah, if you know that you're being tracked by scent, that's like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, as humans, we don't have specific uh, scent glands, I don't think. Like pheromones, we don't have, no. Pheromones aren't a, aren't a property of our bodies, but uh, there are areas of your bodies where just the natural sort of chemistry of your body... But yes, as he is, like, tending to a now unconscious craze, we see Harvey poke po- up again. Yes, who is apparently summoned by his subconscious. Yes, and informs him that he's been missing something in Chris's behavior. Yeah. Yes. It's it's just, he's there for 15 seconds, is Harvey. Right, yeah, he comments on that, like, his stick is not pokey enough, and then he tells him, like, yeah, you've been missing something about Chris's, and that, in fact, he has been using you. What did you think of this? Oh, like, th- how, how how did this sort of slot in together I thought it, for you? I, th- I thought it was a really great way of maybe not introducing a plot point, but like spelling it out by having Harvey as John's subconscious. I mean, um, we, we know we know resides, we, we yeah. know that he is a construct which was placed there by uh, Scorpius, but we don't. I mean, he should Initially be gone with his own with his own right. sort of processing substrate, right? But- he, who should be gone, but apparently isn't. Uh, so it's it's still kind of up in the air as far as I'm concerned whether or not it's just like John's trauma talking manifesting itself oh, like so. that or if it's actually actually still something left over. Oh, but- that's horrifying. To think about. <laughs> actually, my question was actually much more about Grace. So oh, the, the revelation right. that we get about Grace's motivation. And I'm interested in how that sort of compares to your sort of projection, because during season two, mm-hmm. you imagined that Crace would return with a new crew, that right. that's, his, uh, yeah. that's his thing. And here, it's, it's very sort of explicitly stated that Crace didn't choose to bind with Talon just so he'd have a gunship. He bonded with Talon to make the Moyans help him. Right, yes. Uh, well, we get, we get the information that he is now wanted, uh, yeah. much more so than any other escaped uh, peacekeeper would be. Um, because he's a captain. Because he's a captain. Yeah. And the fact that he's kind of been, like, manipulating towards that, I really don't see it that way, because what else could he do? I mean, he could have, like, gone off without talent, but there's no advantage to that. Well, here's what I mean. With your various bets that mm-hmm. you spent your fun bucks on, yeah. you had this idea that what he wanted was power, yeah. right? To have this powerful ship, and then it can go out and, like, acquire a new crew and, right. uh, uh, mm-hmm. and whatever, which all didn't wind up happening. No. And... The way he says it, when I escaped, I used all my assets, which was you, as if he really doesn't have anything. There's no help for him yeah. better than the Moines. They're the only ones that he can turn to his hand, which is incredibly lonely. Right, but the point I'm trying to make is he doesn't have anybody he can turn to other than them. Exactly. But he, So he has the option, go away with Talon or go away without Talon. And it seems to make no sense to go away without Talon. So even if the Moines weren't connected to Talon, 
he would still pick to go with Talon because he would still have a gunship rather yes. than have nothing. So that's one. He would, but what the point that I, the sort of counterpoint <laughs> that we're we're arguing around the around the same thing. Like it's not it's certainly not an argument. If I think that if there was a better way to get the Moyans to help him than by bonding oh, with Talon, he would have picked that. Right. right. Talon is the means, yeah. and their help is the end. I'm saying this because it's also occurring to me now. Mm-hmm. I haven't rewatched this episode in a very long time. I hadn't realized this about him, mm-hmm. that Talon was a means to an end, and the end was getting Crichton and Aaron to help him stay alive. Yeah. Which I mean, is, he might have not realized it at that point. That's also it, a really... Because the altruism and the family connection right. seems to be fairly alien to him. His brother's dead. His dad might also be dead. We don't know. I mean, he did grow up on a, on a farming commune, as he right. mentioned. And it's... But the, the whole concept that they would be so connected to Talin through Moya, it might not have occurred to him, unless he's a study of human character in a way hmm. that he doesn't never really seems to be. That's interesting. Yeah, I wonder at which it point might he something he cottoned that. onto that later. Yeah, than yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I still think he went with Talon because you know, power. The big gun. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Okay, so <laughs> sort of staying with Grace and John, John sort of now that he's got this realization thanks to Harvey, Grace uh, wakes up tied up, <laughs> spread eagled. Yes. Woof. <laughs> that spawned some some fanfic. Fan I'm sure. <laughs> Because, I mean, Lani Tupu is also a gentleman who uh, knows how to wear a pair of leather pants, much like uh, Ben Browner and yourself, by the way. Right. Thank you, thank it's you. A, it's a very good look. No squeaking, I've noticed. No, I'm not, I'm not moving around very much. So did, you, it's, it's, like, did you pour a pint of talcum powder down the front <laughs> before you sat down? It's like I said, it's not bare leather. It's, it's got a nice soft lining on the inside. So that's, oh, excellent. Uh, that makes it quite comfortable to wear, actually. Uh, and considering the fact that it's quite cold this time of year here. Not yes, I'm regretting the later hosen with uh, my, my bare knees. <laughs> yes, your, one skin, of which your skin knees. Recently skinned, yeah. like, a, like a proper like a sort of rambunctious teenager. Youth. Yes. Okay, so. Uh, yes, I'm, he I'm wears up. warm thoughts because Crace wakes up with his arms and legs sort of tied down and Crichton taunting him and, and, and telling him all these revelations. Hey, you were just using us. Yep. And right. now I'm using you. Uh, pour some water over him to uh, wash away the smelly gel. And like, Dinner is served. Yeah, come and get him. Because he knows, like, now he knows that, like, they're after him as a captain, apparently. Yep. And, yep, come and get him. Which he, after another cutscene towards Moya for the other plot, let's, let's just go with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're sticking with them. Because once the uh, the trackers arrive and find Crace tied up like this, they both get jumped and stabbed by John. Yes, I'd like that there was a moment of hesitation. Uh, this could be a trap. Yes, actually it is. Good, yeah, good very going. good. I felt bad for the Kalatas. How about you? Yeah, kind of. I right? mean, they were just doing the job. It's, indebted to the peacekeepers. They're just like... It's an awful situation to be in. John throws a spear, takes one out. I think it's the one who had one burst heart already, so he only had one heart yes. to, to, to aim for. Uh, and jumps the other, yelling and jumping, which is not a, a fantastic strategy. I mean, just distract your opponent, uh, get them scared. I don't know. What do you mean, distract them by... Screen, by alerting them to your presence, yeah. Exactly, distract but them from what? From their surroundings by focusing their attention I, on me? I suppose. <laughs> and then reveals to uh, to Crace that... Uh, Crace then understands. Why didn't you tell me? Needed your fear, homeboy. Needed the sweat. Could well, then untie me. Yeah, but no, I actually did mean it also. <laughs> Yeah, that's that it. was great. Yeah, that was so good. <laughs> because yeah, he doesn't want to let Crace go. go. Like, no. it, he's completely serious about about all of that. Crace 
has two arguments to make. The first one is, then kill me. Yeah. Go right? on. Yeah. Uh, uh, we need you. Sorry. Well, that's the second argument. Yeah. You actually need me. Because do you know if Erin's alive? No. Nope. Yeah. Uh, if, if she isn't, how are you going to get out of here? Yeah, you need him to fly Talon. Talon's not going to listen to you. No, you know definitely that. not John, yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, Talon's not going to stay on the planet. Yeah, but it's not going to take you along with it necessarily. Well, I mean, yeah. you, can, you can imagine it from, from Talon's perspective. Like, yeah. if, if John sort of rocks up and says, hey, yeah, I'm back. Somehow, the two people that you love most in the universe didn't make it, but I'm here now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's not going to go down very well. Well, that would be an interesting episode if they ever went there. Do you think if the situation had been different... John would have left Grace behind? Ooh. Or would have actually killed him? Ooh, probably not actually killed him, might have left him behind. Yeah, right. Yeah, John doesn't seem to be like the cold-blooded killer type. He's no. come far from season one, though. True, but even then, I don't season think... Season one, he... he wouldn't have even left anyone behind. Oh, no, think. no, totally. I think he would have left him behind, but not killed him. So, um... Let's, Let's go with uh, um, the other th- plot line again. Yes, I mean, we, we, we said Rigel we, we... and Stark, I think, because Aaron and Zalax are going to intersect with them shortly. Right, Aaron brings Zalax back to Talon, yes. uh, now bound and captured. Uh, Zalax is like slowly uh, slitting her own wrist to retrieve the knife that she's hiding inside her wrist. That is way too big a knife to hide I inside know. your body. Also, how do you yeah, how do you keep a sharp knife inside your body without doing with damage? a sheath inside your body? It's a difficult place to put it. Yeah, right in between the tendons of of, of one's wrist. She's using a very long thumbnail to sort of scratch in there. It seems like a handy thing to have. to have. Yeah, but like a little razor would do it. Yes. Right, a, a much smaller cutting surface would do it that you can just uh, but yeah, uh, retrieve. She, she no, uses the knife to cut her bonds and then slice open Rigel. There's another little bit in between. She takes the knife out and then out of her thumb there is something that she snorts. Oh, yes. And you see her Pupils eyes go, go like... Whoop. And uh, it seems like be some sort of power drug that, uh, like... Uh, yeah. Pain number, because later we see Erin try to bash her knee again, like she did successfully she the first, and she chuckles. just like, yeah, it's like, you kind of hear this thunk sound from the Foley department, and it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just hitting a gourd with a flannel. And uh, yeah, nothing happens, and she just looks down and goes like, nope, smacks her around, and then after that point, she's in control on Talon. Yeah, poor Rigel. Did you get that he'd been uh, stabbed yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Okay. Cause no, the way he responded was fair. Like, let me reiterate, I had not remembered this as one of the best episodes of Farscape that I've seen. And it totally is. Like, I remember the high concept ones. I noticed this even in, in, in my research. So I went on the Snurcher's Guide, and I read the Visual Companion book, and the sort of unauthorized companion, what's it called? The Uncharted Territories, that, yeah. that was actually sent to us by, uh, by a yes. listener. It was all about how the episode worked and that it was not very nostalgic and that there was these moments of sentimentality and like, there was barely any background stuff because everybody was t- totally into the story and the incredible performances by mm-hmm. uh, uh, Claudia Black and Linda Cropper it was just top form I was so glad to be able to see this again for the first <laughs> time and just be blown away by what an incredible show this is okay so yeah Rigel gets stabbed uh, and imprisoned with Stark yes who has a like a really tender moment as Rigel's lying there dying. Now, it's sort of... I was wondering, like, if someone has been stabbed so badly, like, how are they still functioning? But he's an aquatic creature. Yeah. And so, for us, it's very important that that our lungs are kept in vacuum. If you have a chest wound, your yeah. lungs deflate. But he doesn't have lungs, or he has some other sort of oxygenation system. Yeah. So actually having a wound in his chest cavity, where you can see his heart, which Stark remarks on, You really 
do have three stomachs. The smallest little heart I've ever seen. I thought it was a funny comment. It's like, oh, you actually do have three stomachs, which is kind kind of like, it could be biological, but it could also be like... He's a little Grinch. Yeah. Yeah, and Stark decides to help him. I actually thought that this moment was a bit sort of underserved because we get, I mean, it's resolved and, and, and Rider yeah. is saved. Well, as we later learn, he actually dies there, which like someone like Stark would know, but Stark literally sews him back up and brings him back. But we never get to see that. Like, no. That would have been a really interesting, if there had been another, like, a seven minutes longer this episode, yes. to actually see the sewing up. And he does a terrible job of it to start. He literally sews his clothes back in, into the wound. And what? But apparently with the healing vines. And it all comes out fine in the end. Okay, but this is some serious science fiction bullshit, because oh, that probably. is not something that you can do. Like, I, I recall in the in the early days of, like, field medicine for firearms, that a part of a surgeon's duty was to root around in the bullet wound for all the bits of cloth mm-hmm. and then sort of try and piece them together. together because if yep. you've got all the threads, then the wound can heal. And if you don't, yep. then that is bad, bad news. Which is why silk shirts were also very popular with Mongols, because apparently they got, like, drawn into the uh, into the wound by arrows. They were kind of, like, strong enough that an arrow wouldn't actually oh. pier- pierce the uh, the silk but it would kind of get drawn in and you can just kind of like pull it over. You'd still be hurt. You'd still be yeah, cut. Yeah, you'd still and have an arrow in your... wounded, but it would, like, it would be relatively would easy be... to pull out and the material would stick together and not... And uh... the wound would be contaminated with fibers that prevent exactly, healing yeah. and promote infection. Yeah. Huh. So Aaron and Stark are by this time tied up. Uh, they, Aaron doesn't have a handy wrist blade. No. Nope. Uh, but Rigel, uh, Rigel awakes and is motivated to come over and help them despite the fact that he's in a bad way. I need bed rest for at least the next 50 hours. Like a really reasonable request. Yeah. Can I sleep for two days? You know? Yeah. If I was injured, I would say, yeah. like, give me a week. Give me two weeks. Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> but a- no, he comes over. He does actually cut uh, Aaron's bonds. A different knife than he's used on the vines, by the way. I think this yeah. is Dargo's wrist knife. Oh, no, that's different. That looks. You say that every time. He's got two different <laughs> knives. Which one is different? I don't know. They both are. <laughs> She immediately runs off, leaves Stark tied up, who then goes like, ah, like, like to, yeah, and Rigel's like, it doesn't get resolved on screen, but it's kind of like. Rigel is really ungrateful. (laughs) Yeah, as he is. Well, yes, he is, but he's also kind of grumpy. And he, I mean, he did just get, got cut up. I like how you're on team Rigel. Rigel needs people on his team. For the first time, yes, I am on team. the first time. I mean, most of the time I'm against Rigel, but like, dude got stabbed, you know, it's like, what Uh (laughs) I want to follow this thread because they do have a, like a come down scene at the end, uh, Rigel and Stark, where uh, Stark pulls out the last of the uh, of the stitches, which looks surprisingly clean. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So apparently, I mean, maybe like a combination of PK medicine and uh, Leviathan technology and uh, restorative vines. But then he also tells Rigel, "No, you were dead, dead for a little yeah. while. I had to get in there and uh, and pull you back." And while I was in there, I met with Zan. Zan. Yes. That's why you stitched the frilling tunic to my chest. You were busy hallucinating. She looked contented. She was leading a prayer and she is watching over us, which seems to really disconcert Rigel. Like, Rigel seems to be not too happy that he's being watched by Zahn. And then he diffuses the situation by farting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And guess, giving a little wink. Yes, I didn't really... Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, the Holy Spirit was leaving him or something like that. 
Uh, I saw in one of the chats from the sci-fi like chat message board like back in the day where they got to talk to the puppeteering team. The the puppeteering team was very terse and very sort of for like two-word answers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, was it complicated to make him wink? We've never seen him wink before. No, there's just a slider for that. Just flip a switch. Yeah. You just don't flip both switches. Next question. <laughs> Real professionals. Makes though. sense, yeah. But the final confrontation between uh, uh, Aaron and Zalax yeah. is much more fraught. I mean, Zalax is like, at this point lobotomizing Talon, essentially. High Command could never have anticipated that their hybrid genetic would evolve so successfully. What are you doing? Can't fire the ship up while he still has the capacity for independent thought. You're severing his higher functions. After which I can fly him home manually. Tex is standing by to bring him back to life. Once he's got a control collar on. Talon is not like other Leviathans. He will die before accepting a control collar. Uh, and I'm also sitting there wondering why doesn't Eren use her hand of friendship, her control that she has with Talon? She took it out. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I must have missed that. She took it out at the end of Green-Eyed Monster. Oh, okay. And that was sort of part of her uh, her rejection and the evolution of her relationship with Talon. Okay. It was a temporary instrument anyway. Right. She kicks Zalax in the wounded knee and then, oh, that didn't help. Talon, activate internal. But yeah, she, she gets, gets cut off. Yeah. If Talon could even hear her. Because he was still asleep at that point, yeah. Because the plan is that uh, she's pretty much going to, like, cut out most of his neurocluster or at least disable it, then f- manually fly the ship back and, like, then restore Talon after he's been fitted with a control collar. Because Talon is the primary target. Yeah. Crace is secondary. They really want Talon. I mean, she's impressed as well. She, she almost quotes Crace's Carl Tanaga Chivoko, just high command could never have imagined that like their this. splicing yeah. would work so well. This is a miracle that they could use, considering what we learned about the state of the Cold War with the uh, with the Scarens. Yes, was the Cold War about to heat up? I'm just thinking about that now. That is probably the situation that they've got. They've got a lot invested in the in the wormhole weapon program. Yeah, but if that doesn't work, having self reproducing gunships of talent's capability. That would be nice. With Peacekeeper attitude already. Although we don't know, like, how long it would take. I mean, like, it would still take, like, several years to get, like, a number of them going and, like, get them big enough. Yeah. Talon is small compared to uh, Moya uh, Moya still. But then again, big gun. Actually, his gestation was fairly quick. They've Got a Secret was episode 10. Yeah. And he was born in, uh, in like, episode 1920. Although, although we are told that, like, the gestation was put on hold by whatever the control device was that the... Uh, the implantation, I think the word was. Yeah. So I don't know if that was, uh, what's it called, fertilization? Right. Or how that works for them. I'm afraid pilots are not privy to any special knowledge regarding the gestation cycle of Leviathans. I think we're supposed to assume that there was no zygote until Dargo kicked that panel. Well, no, because in, later in the same episode, they, they, they already see a like ship, which is over a few meters across at that point, I suppose. Mm. It was hard to make out the size. In my perception, it was about the size of a car, I would have said. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, it might have been a, like a, a, a train size or yeah. a small, who knows. But so you're thinking that Moya was already pregnant, but the pregnancy was, was halted, halted yeah. so that there would be a, like a zygote or an embryo. Right. Yes, that's how it felt to me. I'm huh. not, yeah. That seems handy. Yeah. I to mean, be able to just pause a pregnancy. There's a lot, lot of species who can do it. 
Really? Yeah. Kangaroos and I think stoats as well, or there's several kinds of mustelids. Oh. They just go like, yeah, they're pregnant for quite a long time, but the embryonal development is fairly short. It's just that, like, yeah, they just like kind of put it on hold for like a couple of months and then, and then activated when the circumstances right, yeah. arrive. So you think that that's what the uh, uh, what the sort of catalyst was for to stimulate the continuation of zygotic development? Either stop it or either halt it. Or I mean, right. uh, Dargo kicks over this thing and then suddenly things start moving. And if it, if he either he either puts something in place or he takes something out, yeah, right. one or the other. Which that is, seems like something that the peacekeepers would be able to right. value. Yeah, so we yeah. can like we can do this. We can plan this whenever we uh, want it to. Uh, we know the time frame. The that's hard part's work. been done. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of weird that they would still have a ship like Moya in which they're doing such an experiment. Then yeah, we're just using it as a prison ship in the meantime. And well, I think that's explained by uh, uh, the way we weren't because Velarek has sabotaged Moya, so they think she's failed. Oh, and yes, then it just hasn't worked at oh, that's all. That's right. Yeah, that, so that, that that leads to the fact that there might be a block in there that that Velarek put in there yeah. to make it look like the plan failed. Exactly. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Oh, look at us go. <laughs> But yeah, the confrontation between between Aaron and Zalax, and like Aaron appealing to Zalax's humanity in, in in a few ways. Look at what you are doing. You are butchering this magnificent creature in its sleep. When it wakes, it will be a slave, and there is no guarantee it will survive the procedure. But she cannot reach Zalax. No, until the point that Zalax ends up accidentally viewing that video again of her visiting Aaron. Yeah. Because uh, it happens to be lying about on that table that's in that room that we don't know what it is. Yeah, and she reacts rather aggressively to it. She smashes the table that she just spent some time fixing, I right. noticed. Right, yeah, well, you know, angry responses. We've all had emotional responses to <laughs> yeah. bad news or good news or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> she is just fiercely rejecting it, and Aaron is not arriving. So Aaron's tried meeting her on a level of cynicism, like they start off quite cynical toward mm-hmm. one another. Zalex is even even dismissive, oh, because you miss your mummy. Right, yes. And then Aaron sort of reposts with, hey, you actually, you were actually wounded by that. You, you can pretend to be all, all, all cynical about it, but that's bullshit. You loved Talon, you're traumatized, and I'm your daughter. Yeah. But even when, when Zalex is kind of honest about her feelings, she is an extremely bitter woman who the best outcome, that's why I talked earlier about that, that one little throwaway line, like the best outcome that she wanted was that Aaron wanted to return and that she mm. could bring her back and make a case for her yes. and maybe get her reinstated as an officer and then they could be peacekeepers together and then yes. just never talk and about Aaron's any of the... Aaron's like, nope, sorry, being corrupted too much. I see what the peacekeepers for what they are now, I suppose. There's a degree yeah. of that as well, even though she still has you know, some... Uh, old habits, yeah. Old habits and reminiscing towards... Like, I mean, she sees a, a lot of good things about the way they do things as well. But yeah, she's done with the peacekeepers. Yeah. So what I don't understand is why Zalex goes back to her prowler. I mean, she goes to pick up a gun, but there's guns around. Why does she have to go back to the, to her prowler to go get a gun? That's a good point. Because she leaves Talon yeah. with everybody tied up, she thinks, to return to her prowler and maybe to report in. Mm. That's the only thing I can imagine. I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm reaching here because I don't... We see her taking a gun out of the cockpit and then closing the cockpit again and then heading on back. Oh, yes, because all the weapons that they fired... Yes, because a mist in this chakan vapor in the atmosphere. Yeah. What the hell's wrong with this gun? 
don't know. Maybe the Chakar Mist is ruining the Pulse deploy. And that clogs weapons after they've been fired for a few times. Like, you, oh. you saw that during the firefight, that they used their Pulse rifles, yeah. and then it jammed, and they had to dr- drop the rifle and go to pistols. Oh, okay. I wasn't uh, sure why that was happening. Where Grace goes, you know, pistols akimbo, which is really Yes, that really was a cool. fantastic scene. <laughs> but I think, like, all of these weapons are spent. So it kind of makes sense that if yeah, you've got three okay. prisoners on board... Then you want a fresh weapon, so maybe that's just. I must it. have. I must have missed the, the point I'm where they talk you. about this. I'm with you. It, I didn't it, even it, question it. So it wasn't. It didn't come clear to me why they were like why they were constantly swapping guns. I mean, it kind of looked cool, and but we've never like seen a reload before, other than when it was like significant <laughs> for the story. <laughs> yeah, true. So uh, yeah, but yeah, she goes out, uh, goes get her weapon, which puts her back outside allowing her to run into John and Crace. John, Crace, Aaron, they yeah. uh, they pile on Zalax. Oh, and there's a Kalarta as well. One of them... Oh, yeah. One of them actually survived. their spare heart. Yeah. Tracks John and Crace again. But they are overcome. Yeah, there's a bit of fighting sequence. Uh, the Kalarta gets shoved into the uh, universe's butthole, at oh, least yeah. with their face. Yeah. They the- suffocate him in the in, in Old Faithful fumes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and farted to death. Yes, and then we have to deal with Erin and her mother. This was fascinating. Erin is ready to take the shot, and John has uh, uh, Zalex pinned down and is holding him down and, and protecting her from from Erin's fire. Yeah, because like you're not going to kill your own mother. Uh, yeah, and he goes through a few cycles as well. First, it's established that she is not going to relent; that she will take everybody back, and that nothing they can say or do is going to sway her from her mission and therefore like the only way you can get me off your back is to kill me that's essentially what she says i mean the fact that she even says it what do you expect me to lie to beg for my life and she doesn't in that taunting voice but i was just captivated by the idea that this is how she's expressing her love for aaron i'm going to make this choice easy for my daughter I mean, it's really, really fucked up. Yeah. But that's what I was feeling in this moment. Like, why would she do that? Why would she not seize every advantage? Why would she not play on Aaron's sympathy? Mm. The fact that she's not doing that is so generous toward Aaron. Yeah, no, I can see that. I'm even getting emotional about it right now. But just the the, the fact that someone who is so indoctrinated still has this idea, I don't want this to be harder for my daughter than it has to be. She's super callous and comes off as, uh, yeah, taunting almost to make it do or say anything to make it easier. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. Like, I don't know if that was what, uh, uh, what Linda Cropper was going for, but I really felt that this time around. So, yes, John leads Aaron off and leaves Crace to do the deed. Yeah, because Crace agrees with Aaron. Like, Aaron, yeah. Now she's the, right. Of course, now right we, wrong. we hear some shots in the background. So, did he or didn't he? I want to hear from you about this because I thought it was really well done. It was, uh-huh. it was edited. There was some slow motion. You saw several close-ups of uh, Zalax and Crace. Um, there was actually a few flashy thing uh, points and like in the slow motion where I kind of figured like, uh, did it just happen there? And then, right. it, and then a little bit later, there's the blaster fire shots and like, oh no, that's when it's supposed to happen. It's like he shoots those, quite a few times. Those flashes are yeah, yeah. Well, they're not very good shots. Those peacekeepers we've seen. I mean, they're not stormtroopers, <laughs> but yeah. So the but question the, the is, did he or didn't that you he? Saw, the flashes that you saw were part of the, the sort of flashbacks that, uh, that Aaron was having. Yeah, yeah. Like she was I, flashing back to that scene. Yeah. And this absolutely broke me. She turned around and she wanted to go back and she yelled no just before like yeah. she heard the blast. And, and Crichton had to hold her because even though it was her idea, mm-hmm. 
as she was walking away, she wanted it not to be true and just the heartbreak. But sorry, you were saying about clearly she's dead, right? Like we've heard the gunshots and we know that she's dead. You're gonna give you're gonna have to offer me more than even odds to uh, uh, get me to put some fun bucks on that. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm actually not gonna do this with you. What I'm, but this was a really tricky situation within the fandom. It was very split, and you'd think that this would be an like an easy bet to make that a character like that dying off screen that doesn't seem likely yeah then again the way that zan's death was handled yeah where it was sort of teased and there was oh is she coming back because you saw the orange glow at the end and yeah well, in through the window yes in the mirror yeah. i don't think there was a lot of official statements and they'd been kind of cheeky with their communication to fans before anyway right. so at this time, there was still a lot of people in the fandom who were thinking that Zan's Zan was come coming back. back. Yeah. And there were also those who were realizing that she wasn't, that that mm. was the, the end for uh, uh, Virginia Hay. And like, hey, Farscape can actually kill off characters, Major characters as well. Yeah. So what the f*** is this? Yes. Is this Are we being teased with? We've been teased before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, no, but that's why, like, you just tell me how you feel. What's uh, uh, what do you think is going to happen with uh, uh, did she okay. die or didn't she? Oh, I mean, no, you don't have to be strategic about it. No, no, well, no, point. I, no I'm no not point, thinking. Right? I'm, I'm just like trying, like trying, trying to think how it was coded. Like it right. was, it wasn't a single shot; it was multiple shots. Uh, and we like, never, we never get to see Crace conscious again because the next time we see Crace, he is mind merging with Talon. Yeah. So yeah, we don't know what happened there. Did they find him? Did they have to drag Crace back? Was he? Did he suddenly pass out? What happened there? Why is Why is oh. Crace suddenly injured? No, no, no. I, I can tell you that because yeah. he is helping Talon heal, right? By copying his engrams, whatever that means, yeah. in, to to help replace the severed higher functions, right? So he would have made it. Like I'm pretty sure. But is it a transfer, or is 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 Crace still going to be? whole craze and like just part of craze in talon or does he it's like is it like is it a move or a copy i think it's a copy but it's right. it's, it's rather poorly described because yeah. Crichton is worried okay so a, a chunk like of craze's psyche is exactly. going to live in talon yeah that seems a little bit weird no that's what i was wondering about but yeah so but yes i think that's the case so he would have made it to talon under his own power and then plugged himself in to help talon heal yes okay so i think he did kill her, mm-hmm. and if it's like if it comes back later, then like, oh, it's going to be another scene between John and Chris, and it's like, ah, oh, you lied, and it's like you you, you were like being a conniving little bastard again. Uh, <laughs> on the other hand, I know that like Chris knows that also knows that she will be coming for them. Yeah, right. So he has little motivation to not kill her. He doesn't. He stands almost nothing to gain from sparing her, as far as I can tell. So I think he killed her. That. <laughs> is where I landed as well. Yep. So we'll see how yes. things turn out. No, but you're entirely valid, and I don't want you to put any points on that. Like I was just really curious about your perspective. Uh, like I said, like you'd have to have to offer me significantly better than even odds for me to put po- uh, points on the fact that he didn't kill her. Hey, you are not hurting for points at this point, okay. at, this, at this time. Uh, you can be uh, you can be pretty pretty generous. We have a very touching scene between uh, John and Aaron to round off the episode. Yeah, it's a beautiful shot. It's just their faces with with a bit of Talon's red sort of control lights around them. And they're just... Yeah, he's basically comforting her. He's like helping her, yeah, process the loss of her mother. 
I thought it was such a good scene because it starts off with her saying, hey, we should probably get some sleep. Or not. And then it's like they almost kiss, but he John leaves it entirely to her. He, he kind of makes himself available, but leaves yeah. it to her whether or not she actually wants to kiss him. Uh, he's really there for her. He's because very, he, he realizes like she's, okay, what do you need? Do you need to deny and repress it? Or do you need to talk about it? Because yeah. either way, I'm here for you. Yeah. And I'm not going to make you choose. You don't have to wait up for me if you don't want to. No, I don't mind. Yeah, it's entirely your, uh, yeah, go with the flow. My Zalax was my last connection to the peacekeepers. All my ties to them are now completely severed. And she needs to cry. She does. And she trusts him enough to do that like that is... Yeah, that's a very good moment between them. I'm literally choking up here. Like this is... Yeah, I know, (laughs) I know. This uh, I, it's a very touching scene. I've talked about it before, this, this sort of rare privilege of coming back to a series that I love and discovering an episode that I don't remember being a masterpiece huh. and finding that it is. And it, wow. it really got to me. So I'm, I'm delighted that I got to share it with you. Yeah, it was a very good episode. Uh, but we do have to talk. Yes, so third button. She gives me a woody. She gives you the woody. woody. <laughs> yeah. It's fun to hear it them, is, isn't it? It is, it is. <laughs> okay, so I'll start with the willies first. Yes. Um, so my original was going to be the what I thought was going to be the B-plot between uh, Stark and Rigel, like chopping away the vines, which were like suddenly growing in Talon. Because uh, ah. I was like, that kind of felt weird. It like, felt, also felt like something that didn't go anywhere. Like suddenly there are vines which need to be removed, or maybe they don't need to be removed, or we can rip for it. But it seemed entirely superfluous just to keep... Stark and Rigel in the picture. Occupied, yeah. yeah. And then it, like that went a completely different way. Uh, so I guess it's going to have to go to the soundstage forest. Oh. I know. <laughs> okay, is there anything in particular, like what are the, like make your list of things that you disliked about the soundstage forest. The fact that it was so obviously a soundstage forest. Okay. You know, it's like the flat floor with the wood chips on it and it like, yeah, it just didn't feel... <laughs> I've got a question. How does that compare to Crawl, where they had exactly the same thing with the swamp? Yes. Which was also just cork well, At cork least they chips. put a little bit more terrain features in there. I mean, here... Like, they also had more staff drownings on the set because of fair enough. mislabeled yeah. uh, quicksand. Yeah, people like falling in. No, I agree with that. But, okay, my Woody... Well, just yeah. like go to that. I think it goes to the aliens. I like those. The Kalatas. They like. I like them. They look good. Oh, Pina Kalatas! They, like, oh. I, like, I like their, yeah, I don't know, their faces, their mouth, the way they moved. Yes, I think they were Dave my... Dave Elsie would be pleased to hear that. Because <laughs> I, I read in the uh, Creatures of Farscape book, mm-hmm. which is, once again, thanks to our, uh, our Patreon subscribers, um... Dave Elsie was not particularly happy with how it came out. Like, they tried to make them, like, they're seven feet tall, but you can't really tell that. And he felt no. that they were shown too much and they were, and they were like, lit too plainly. Dave's wife, Lou Elsie, she mm-hmm. is the creature costumer. Yeah. So she decided on this sort of Egyptian kind of vibe. Yes, it, it, it felt a little bit... Um Stargatey, you know. With, oh yeah, they yeah. had their like those head drapery head type drape, things. Yep. Yeah, no, I, and the I, sort of neck pieces. I can see that. Uh, yeah, how all that... of them to hide zippers and seams. Of course, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they were. I, I'm with you. I thought they were really interesting creatures. Like they're so skinny. 
Yes. Thomas Holsgrove is, is, is very, very which skinny. Makes, which makes sense if you come from a low-gravity world. Oh, yeah, good point. But, so, yes. I mean, much like Doug Jones, a, a lot of these sort of creature performers, they tend to be extremely muscular, extremely skinny people yes, with high heat tolerance. Because it's easy to add stuff, and mm-hmm. it's very hard to take stuff away. And, like, yeah, if you're a skinny bastard, then you have more heat tolerance than, you know, people who are a little bit more... have a little bit more natural padding. Is that true? Because I am... You know, the, uh, the the years have added some padding here and mm-hmm. there, but I'm generally like of a, a, a very sort of, I'm a slender reed compared right. to a, a lot of the members of my uh, my family. And I don't have a lot of like temperature control. In, no, like, but you have the special ability that you have like the uh, heat resistance of a uh, Irishman mm-hmm. and the cold resistance of an Indonesian. So <laughs> Yes, yes. I am trapped in a nightmare world <laughs> where the, the two sides of my ancestry are at war of, uh, like I am my own sort of war over the thermostat yes <laughs> i am struggling to find willies and woodies i really am it's never been more difficult than here oh wow i think maybe my willy goes to stark and the vines because that mm-hmm. uh, yeah I'm, because i can that feel that i can so feel much, that <laughs> so much work for paul goddard to sort of make it feel like these were in the way and that had a very high sort of Doctor Who kind yes. of atmosphere to it. Like, we're clearly trying. Are we trying hard enough to convince you? Are you convinced yet? Probably not, yeah. Mm, I'll try a little harder. <laughs> but at the same time, that also gets my woody because I love, like, people who throw themselves into the role and the job so much. Paul Goddard tried to make it fun, and it was. Mm. Everybody brought their A game. I really liked The Jungle because I looked at this and I have some experience as a photographer and trying to create these environments and just the effort of trying to pull this off on a television budget in Australia in, oh, in eight days yeah. is astonishing. But, okay, my uh, my Woody has to go to Aaron and, and Zalax. Mm, their interaction. Yep. Oh, no, I can't. I don't even know whether I can choose between the characters and the actors because oh. uh, Linda Cropper and, and Claudia Black did amazing as well. I'm... I'm, I'm out of, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this again. I think I've done it once before. I'm going to try and pick a Willy and a Woody just as it's, random. It's going to be Rigel getting stitched up. No, apparently my Woody is John discovering the fart KY and just <laughs> and, and smearing that over <laughs> I mean, that was, a, that was an interesting moment. I can um, see how John and Grace in the loop pit. Yeah, I can see how that would get your Woody. Cover your private bits. And my Willy is a... Oh, possibly, like, it's it's one of the broken gifs. I'm going to slide down. Oh, apparently my witty is also a Crichton and Crace. It's where he stops Crace and sort of bends him backwards, and then he does his fun yelp. Oh, oh so Apparently yes. my willy. Okay, yeah, okay. fair enough. <laughs> Thank you so much to the gods of randomness. <laughs> and, and that's... That's the story, story so, so far, Skate. You got the sound yes. No, sorry, yes. Yeah, oh. no, I love it. Please join us next week for episode 311, Incubator, Mm. where the quest for wormhole technology leads Scorpius to reveal his horrific past to Crichton. Oh, my. I wonder if that's Scorpius or Harvey. (laughs) You can find us at SoFarscape on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, You can go to SoFarscape.com slash links. 
I actually built it. Yes. Yeah, Ooh. and there you can find the links where you can submit your uh, your synopses. We st- can still use more for the rest of season three. Thank you so much for showing up in droves. They're so much fun, and we uh, we love reading them. Uh, you can also submit fanfics if you have an idea for a fanfiction that you would like to read. Make which... sure that they're safe for Kay. Yes. So no further than relativity. Keep the spoilers kind of light. Uh, and you can also like help support us at uh, sofarscape.com slash support. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. So, so far, far escape, escape so, so good. good.